Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music. The trivia. And the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast. Today, we might actually learn something. Donna, what is our episode? We're ready to talk about Venus and the man. The air date was the 31st of January, 1981. Written by Hugh Wilson. Story editor, Lisa Levin. Executive story consultants, Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Directed by Rod Daniel. The station's cleaning lady asks Venus for a favor. Her son wants to drop out of high school. She wants Venus to talk to her son, a gang member, about staying in school. Venus bets the boy he can make learning more interesting. Take note of the date on this episode, the 31st of January, 1981. Something huge in American history had just happened on January 20th. The 52 American hostages being held by Iranian students had been released after a stunning 444 days in captivity. WKRP wasn't able to get anything added to the January 24th Frog Story episode, but they did put a 10-second welcome back message at the front of this episode. Before we start tonight's show, all of us here at WKRP cast and crew would like to say welcome back to the former hostages. The hostage welcome home is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all the special things about this episode. The written by credit goes to Hugh Wilson. Hugh only has 14 written by credits in the whole series, and most of those happened in the first season. His later written by episodes would be the message or important episodes. This is one of his biggest. Season two's episode, God Talks to Johnny, was also a Hugh written episode and his first ever Humanitas Award nomination. This script is his second Humanitas nominee, and this one was a winner. Hugh will take home the 1981 Humanitas Prize in the category 30-Minute Network or Syndicated Television. Breaking the atom down and assigning it gang affiliations came out of a discussion Hugh had with his wife. She was studying to be a doctor at USC. One night, Hugh was bored and scanning a book she had open. He couldn't understand a thing, and he asked her, Can this be simplified? She did what Hugh and Tim Reed eventually did with the script. Without really knowing it, Hugh was using visual learning and metaphor as a way to teach an abstract subject. His technique for explaining the structure of the atom was so powerful and effective, Tim Reed said in America's favorite radio station that Scholastic Magazine produced a comic book of the entire episode. We really, really wanted to find a copy of that Scholastic comic, but we couldn't come up with it anywhere. 
How effective was Venus's lesson? Teachers today still use the explanation. Some even just play the episode for their classes. A quick note about the title of this episode. It is listed on IMDb as Venus and the Man, but we've also come across several references to an alternate title, Venus Flytrap Explains the Atom. Michael Hernandez, the accountant of rock, tracked this one down for us. The original title was Venus and the Man. It's the one that shows up in TV listings on the debut night. It wasn't until the following summer after the episode had been submitted for the Humanitas Award that we started seeing the title Venus Flytrap Explains the Atom. We think the more specific story-based title was an attempt to remind the Humanitas judges about the content of the episode. Let's get into the episode. We start out in the studio, and that means a poster watch. Yay! We've got a couple of new things to talk about. If you take a look at the lower left corner of the door's red wedge poster, you'll see a smaller picture of two people. This is a picture of John Lennon and Yoko Ono from the cover of the November 29, 1980 issue of Cashbox magazine. This was their last photo session before Lennon was shot. This is one of two photos of John up in the studio. It's not as easy to see, but if you look behind Venus when they do a reverse angle, you can see a headshot of John just to the right of the green live book. Both of these pictures were placed on the set as a tribute after John's assassination on December 8th of 1980. This is the first airing with the pictures, but this is not the first episode to shoot with them on the set. Taking a look at shoot order, we see that the double-length Dr. Fever and Mr. Tide shot just before this episode, right before the holiday break. Both photos are also visible in the studio scenes from Mr. Tide. The episode that shot before Mr. Tide was Frog Story. In that one, no pictures. Taking a look at our posters, just below the Doors Red Wedge poster, you'll find a poster for the band 29. This is a promo for their second studio album called 29 with Lenny White. Their first album had been called Best of Friends. White was a noted progressive jazz drummer who founded this band in 1979 as a way to explore more funk and R&B sounds. It didn't make the overall album chart, but this disc did reach number 22 on the Billboard R&B album chart. The single Kid Stuff made it to number 19 on the Billboard Hot Soul Singles chart. of the door covering the Cincinnati map is a poster with two girls on it. It's promoting the punk-laden soundtrack for a 1980 movie called Times Square. It was produced by RSO Films. RSO stood for Robert Stigwood Organization. Stigwood had been responsible for both Saturday Night Fever and Grease, so expectations were high for this movie and the accompanying soundtrack. Both were huge 
flops. The movie was re-edited and reworked until it was almost incomprehensible. At one point, scenes were cut down or completely deleted just to make room for more songs. The producers figured they weren't going to make anything from the movie, so maybe they could still make something from the soundtrack. The soundtrack grew to a double-disc set featuring some of the hottest names in punk. It didn't work. Both the Times Square movie and soundtrack lost a ton of money and quickly faded into oblivion. And we've got one more, but man, you just get a glimpse of it. It's to the left of the Huey Lewis poster under the record shelves. It's tucked way down low, a bright red and yellow poster for The Inmates. This is promoting their second studio album, Shot in the Dark. The Inmates are a British pub rock band formed in 1980, and as of 2013, the band was still together and working with four of the five original members. Now back to the studio, Venus is at the mic. A message from Mr. Carlson about driving safely is playing. It sounds as though it has come to an end. Venus grabs the mic to intro a song, but Mr. Carlson begins talking again. And never drive if you've been drinking. When he finishes, Venus takes the mic and starts to talk, but Mr. Carlson begins talking again. This is Arthur Carlson speaking. And following the comedy rule of three, Venus grabs for the mic, and Carlson gets in one last interruption. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, Venus takes the mic. And if you're watching, Venus didn't really start a song. He plays like he's hitting the button to start it, but he does not hit a button on the turntable. And then he kind of pushes the record, but it's not going. It's not playing at all. But, but we're hearing music. We hear the music, yeah. yeah. If you had been listening in January of 1981, Venus would have gone into Looking for Love by Candy Staten. Pulling from the Big D, Dale Kovar's set of recreated discs, we know the clip originally sounded like this. And now let's have a little Miss Candy Staten. The Shout Factory couldn't clear the Candy Staten song. We can see the album cover sitting on the console in front of him, but Venus's intro is intentionally muddled, and we get a generic music clip instead. And now let's have a little Miss Candy Staten. Candy Staten was born in Alabama in 1940. She started her career billed as the First Lady of Southern Soul in 1968. She's had more than 30 studio albums and is an inductee in the Christian Music Hall of Fame. This cut, Looking for Love, comes from her ninth studio album, 1980's self-titled Candy Staten. Art's false endings make for a funny bit, but there were tricks to make sure you didn't really run into those kinds of problems in the booth. The easiest and most common was writing the outro on the cart label. Each commercial cartridge normally had a typed or handwritten label stuck to the front of it. The labels used on hanging file folders worked perfectly, and you found those in a lot of stations. For most spots, especially the ones with weird or false endings, the traffic person would type the final four or five words on the cart label. 
If the traffic person didn't do it, the first DJ to get caught by a weird ending would normally handwrite the last words on the label. The other common method for knowing when a spot was done was called a step tone. These were very, very low-frequency tones you could add to the end of the spot while the cart was being recorded. The tones were so low they could not be heard by human ears. But the cart deck could pick it up, and the step tone would cause a click noise or flash a light on the front of the deck. A few clicks of the step tone, and you knew the spot was over. Step tones would also be used by early automation systems as a way to move to the next event. Back to the episode, we see a woman walk up to the studio window and knock. Venus looks over and waves her in. Venus says hello, calling her Cora. He asks her to sit down as he motions to the stool. She is wearing yellow rubber gloves and carrying a can of cleaner and a rag. How about uh, sneaking a little Ella for you tonight, huh? That'd be nice. He asks if she would prefer Ella or Della. She tells him either one will do. Venus gets up and goes over to the shelves of the albums. Cora Isley is being played by Veronica Red. Veronica was born in 1948 in Washington, D.C. She has 35 acting credits on her IMDb profile. She appeared on 173 episodes of the soap opera The Young and the Restless from 1990 until 2004, appearing as the character Mamie Johnson. She also did guest appearances on Picket Fences, The Women of Brewster Place, Different Strokes, Good Times, Hill Street Blues, Lou Grant, The White Shadow, and The Jeffersons, just to name a very few. Veronica has a number of MTM productions on her resume. As is the case with so many WKRP guest stars, she also appeared on The Tony Randall Show in 1977. Veronica's appearance points out how lonely things are for Tim Reed as an African-American WKRP cast member. We are 58 episodes in, and Veronica is only the third black guest star on the series. We had Britt Brenda Elder playing the WREQ receptionist in Venus Rising, and Daphne Maxwell as Peter Marshall's co-host during Real Families. Both of those appearances were quite a bit different than this one. Veronica is playing Cora with a broad accent. It's more like what you would have found on shows like Good Times or What's happening during this era? Cora asked Venus if he is a high school graduate. College graduate. Carlisle State Teachers College. Cora asks him what he would have done if he hadn't finished school. Venus tells her he doesn't know. She don't need to be a college graduate to do this job. Venus looks at Cora. He tells her she looks a little down and asks her what's wrong. Cora tells Venus she's having trouble at home. My little boy Arnold. He's just 16. And now he's telling me. He says he's going to quit school. And did you catch that? Little boy, Arnold. Yeah, little. His, <laughs> her little boy. Venus says he's sorry. She's upset and tells Venus she doesn't work like she does for him to go and do something like that. Ella and Della was a reference to two African-American female jazz and gospel singers, Ella Fitzgerald and Della Reese. As for Carlisle State Teachers College, there have been a lot of teachers' colleges in the United States, but we couldn't find one by that name, no matter how you spell it. Also, the belt Venus is wearing looks a lot like the one he wore with his tux in his stand-up comedy, Daydream. I was for seven years now, saving for his college, 
And now he's not even going to graduate from high school? Rena shakes his head. You know, our kids are these days. They need time to find themselves. Find themselves? I can't find it. <laughs> she goes on to tell Venus he's always gone with his friends, messing with stuff. You tell him if he doesn't shape up, I'll come over to that house and I'll go upside his head. Hmm. Cora tells Venus she wishes he would. Yeah, it would be good for him to talk to somebody like you, a, a person who's made something of themselves. Now, the upside-the-head comment seems a little out of character for Venus. He seems too zen and mellow to opt for the violent approach. Venus tells Cora to send her son up to the studio. I'll talk to him. Cora is grateful, and she asks Venus what time. Venus tells her four o'clock tomorrow. I'll make sure he's here. And thank you so much, Venus. Cora begins putting her rubber cleaning gloves back on, saying she better get back to work. Just a big dumb fool. That's all he is. Just a big dumb fool. Yeah. How big? <laughs> Cora tells Venus he's about his height. You're kind of skinny like me, huh? <laughs> no, uh-uh. He, uh, he looks like you know, a regular man. Uh, no. <laughs> Venus smiles. A regular man at 16. Uh-huh. He's bad, too. Real bad. How you mean bad? You mean like he's a bad little boy or that cat's bad? <laughs> no. You know. Cora makes a tough-looking face and bobs her head up and down. Bang. Venus looks away. He's starting to feel a bit unsure about what he's agreed to. Right. Cora tells Venus to watch out because, also, he can be real tricky. Oh, tricky, huh? <laughs> Big tricky. And bad. Bad. Big tricky and bad. Man, Cora thanks Venus again and hurries out the door. Hey, no problem at all. I can't help. <laughs> I'm from the streets. I'm used to having big, bad, tricky men. Venus makes a face as he shakes his head. And as Venus is wondering what he's gotten himself into, we head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back to the lobby where Venus is pacing nervously beside Jennifer's desk. Jennifer is reading a book. Venus asks Jennifer for the time. Oh, I'm not wearing my watch today. Oh. What time do you have? 4.50. Thank you. <laughs> Jennifer thanks him and goes back to reading her book. <laughs> Four rather large African-American gentlemen walk through the door and come into the lobby. Venus turns to see them. Uh, Arnold? Yeah. <laughs> I'm Venus Flytrap. Hey. Hi. Venus gives his best smile. Arnold is being played by Kenny Long. Kenny Long spells his first name with one N, which made it easier to find him. Kenny is really a dancer who happened to do some acting. He has 10 acting credits on his IMDb profile, covering a 17-year period from 1976 through 1993. Like Veronica... Kenny also appeared in an episode of The White Shadow for MTM in 1979. We were really wanting to know Kenny's age for this episode because he is most definitely not 16. Thanks to Canadian WKRP blogger Roy Penny for sending us a 90s-era LA Times article about dancers where Kenny is interviewed. The article happened to give his age, 
Working backwards, we were able to determine that Kenny was 32 years old while shooting this episode. Yes, you heard right. This is a man in his early 30s playing a 16-year-old. Another weird little detail about ages, Veronica Red, who is playing Arnold's mother, is in reality one year older than Kenny Long. Arnold is wearing a t-shirt with no sleeves, showing off his broad shoulders and huge biceps. He's got a bandana tied around his head with a black jacket slung over his shoulder, and he's chewing on some gum. And you don't get arms like those as a teenager. No, a guy like that walking into a high school would scare most of the kids to death, I think. (laughs) Mr. Carlson comes out of his office and looking up from some papers stops short as he sees the four guys standing over by Jennifer's desk. He is visibly rattled by the group in the lobby. He stops next to Venus. Uh, Hi, Venus. Hi. Carlson shakily walks over to Jennifer's desk. Um. Uh. Jennifer. (laughs) Carlson lays the papers on her desk. Jennifer, uh, uh, I've read through these papers just like you asked. Mr. Carlson, you were supposed to sign them, not read them. Picking up the papers from Jennifer's desk, Carlson begins walking backwards towards his office. He asks Venus how it's going. Hi, I see you. Oh, it's awfully busy. It just never seems to stop. (laughs) Carlson hustles into his office and shuts the door. Venus turns back to Arnold, telling him he didn't know he was going to bring all his friends with him. I didn't know I was going to have to come up here either. Well, nobody forced you to. Venus asks Arnold if his buddies could wait for him downstairs. We get a shot of his three friends ogling Jennifer, who is still reading a book at her desk. Arnold tosses his jacket at one of them to get their attention, tells him he'll be down in about five minutes. The three friends head out the door. Venus and Arnold head back through the door, leading to the bullpen. Arnold gets in one last look at... Uh, Jennifer. Now we see Mr. Carlson's door slowly open. Then Mr. Carlson, eyes scanning the lobby, quickly runs over to Jennifer's desk and puts the same papers as before down in front of her. They're signed. Your name? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Carlson runs back into his office and shuts the door. He had to stop for a minute and think. Yeah, yeah, they're they're his name. (laughs) We cut back to the bullpen as Venus and Arnold walk in. See, where can we talk here? Don't you have your own office? Venus tells Arnold, no, he does not. Bailey stands up from her desk, and Venus introduces her to Arnold. Bailey tells Arnold Venus has told her all about him. She says she knows it may not seem like it now, but school will pay off in the long run, no matter what he may decide to do later on. Arnold just glares at her, chomping on his gum. Of course, I could be wrong. <laughs> and I probably am. <laughs> wow, Bailey completely folded. If she's going to make a statement like that, she needs to stand by her convictions. Yeah, just not speaking and chomping on his gum totally made her collapse. <laughs> so Bailey gathers up some things from her desk. She tells Venus and Arnold, she'll get out of the way so they can talk. Venus leads Arnold over to the DJ's desk. As they are making their way to the desk, we see Johnny lying on the couch. Arnold glances at Johnny. You want to sit down? No, I don't think so. You're a real tough guy, aren't you? Real bad dude, right? Les has come into the bullpen. Seeing Venus and Arnold, he walks over toward them. (laughs) Well, 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 what have we here? (laughs) 
And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. Left arm just above the wrist. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. Les puts out his hand and introduces himself to Arnold. Hi, I'm Les Nesman, senior news director. Arnold just looks at Les with an expression that is screaming he couldn't care less. Keeping his hand shoved in his jeans pockets, Arnold just stares at Les. Les is not going to let this go by. He reaches over with his left hand, takes Arnold's right hand from his pocket, and shakes it. Venus is cringing as Les continues. You must be Arnold Isley. I know your mother very well. Now, if we're remembering correctly, Les really knows Arnold's mother. Back during Venus Rising, remember this exchange after everyone heard the news about Venus? Well, I heard it from Les. Huh? I heard it from the cleaning woman. Les dates the cleaning woman. We're guessing this is either a new cleaning woman or the writers completely forgot that throwaway line from last season. We're pretty sure if Les were dating Cora, Arnold would know about it. Les continues. Welcome to WKRP and feel free to ask any questions. Les lets go of Arnold's hand. Arnold kind of wipes his hand on his shirt and he puts it back into his pocket. Les tells Arnold to feel free to ask any questions. It's not as complicated as it looks. Venus thanks Les and then tells him he and Arnold are wanting to talk privately. Les is only too happy to oblige. Certainly, I'll just uh, step into my office and shut my door. Les goes to his office, opens the door, and steps in. Les's office is not going to give them the privacy Venus is wanting. Venus tells Les they may have to use his office. Les opens his office door and steps out. Certainly. I understand. Les closes the door behind him. What's he on? Ovaltine. <laughs> Venus mentioned Ovaltine. Ovaltine is a milk flavoring mix made with eggs, malt extract, sugar, and whey. It was invented all the way back in 1904 in Bern, Switzerland. Although it was created as a malted milk drink, some of the most popular current flavors also include cocoa. The version called Rich Chocolate Ovaltine is the most popular in the U.S., and it doesn't include any malt. The original name was Ovomaltine. The name comes from ovum, which is Latin for egg, and malt, its original key ingredients. A misspelling of the name on the trademark registration application in Britain led to the name being shortened to Ovaltine, originally advertised as consisting solely of malt, milk, eggs, and flavored with cocoa. The formula has changed over the decades, and several different flavors are now available. Ovaltine has been a touchstone of pop culture for more than a century. In the 1983 movie A Christmas Story, the main character Ralphie solves a little orphan Annie cryptogram puzzle. My mind was a steel trap. Every pore vibrated. It was almost clear. Yes, 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 yes. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Ovaltine? A crummy commercial? Ovaltine was also famously mentioned in one of Kenny Banya's episodes of Seinfeld. Why do they call it Ovaltine? The mug is round. The jar is round. They should call it Round Team. That's gold, Jerry. Gold! It's 
Gold, Jerry, gold. <laughs> Les looks at Venus and Arnold. I just can't help noticing that both you gentlemen are black. Venus cringes again. Oh, God. I've recently taken quite an interest in Negro culture. Is that right? Les tells Arnold he may not know it, but most of the few truly original contributions this country has made to society have come from black Americans. Venus is trying to get Les's attention, wanting him to stop. I was on edge throughout this whole thing. Les, thankfully, never gets offensive throughout this interaction, but I was really afraid he was headed that way. With Les, you never know. <laughs> well, Les is on a roll. Take, for instance, the language. Now, I personally think it's stagnating in England, but here in the U.S., it is vibrant and growing. And why? Arnold, chewing on his gum, just looks at Les. Les, wanting a response from Arnold, does not stop. <laughs> and why? Arnold gets right in Les's face. Les is not deterred in the least. Why? Black input, Arnold, that's why. I think Les should be in sales. He does not take no for an answer. <laughs> so Venus tries to get Les's attention again. Les, look, I was then, of course, we have music. Les admits music is not his favorite subject, but he can certainly talk about it. He launches into a lecture about music and begins pacing as he speaks. It sounds like something you'd hear in a college lecture hall. If the Beatles are the construct of modern music, and I use that word construct incorrectly... Surely they were given birth to by Elvis Presley, a giant for sure, but the product of the black experience. Ergo, and I use that word correctly, <laughs> blacks created modern music. Which brings us to... The line of the episode. Scratch an almond, brother, and you have black. <laughs> oh, but Les doesn't stop there. <laughs> Scratch Billy Joel, and you have Howling Wolf. <laughs> I could go on, but my mother is in town. Les <laughs> walks over to the coat rack and he gets his jacket. You think the craziness is over, but he's still not done. Let's just say that every white rock and roll musician working today should take half of his or her paycheck and mail it directly to Chuck Berry. <laughs> At least that's what I think. And I won't even go into jazz. Les takes his hat from the coat rack. Arnold, enjoy your visit to the station. Venus, nice visiting with you too. <laughs> Les smiles, gives a somewhat oddly relaxed black power fist sign, and walks out of the bullpen. Arnold stares after <laughs> Les, and then he turns to Venus. Right on, Did you Les. tell him all that? Venus tells Arnold, no. We catch movement from the couch. Johnny's awake. Yeah, I did. <laughs> of course. Dr. Fever seems to have instructed Lester in the key points regarding the black impact on U.S. popular music. Johnny gets up from the couch, smiles at Arnold and Venus, and, scratching his head, walks out the door leading to the studio. Arnold asks who that was. Venus explains it's fever. He tells Arnold Johnny doesn't like his apartment, so he hangs around the station. That's Dr. Fever? Yeah. He don't look like his voice. Yeah. You don't either. I don't? No. Nah. You sound white to me. We were a little surprised to find Arnold listens to WKRP. It might be because his mom cleans the station. Based on what we know about Cincinnati radio station demographics, we kind of figured Arnold would be a WREQ listener. Mina says he really doesn't care what Arnold thinks about him. He was just trying to help his mother. You know, I've seen your type before. You're going to be a big loser, man. Life's going to run you over like a giant steamroller. Is that right? Venus tells him, yeah, that's right. 
Arnold reaches into his pocket and pulls out a wad of cash. He peels off a bill from the top. I'll tell you what. Here's a hundred dollars. Won't you go out and buy yourself a new jacket? Arnold tosses the hundred dollar bill at Venus and it flutters to the floor. That's how life's running me over. Venus points at the money on the floor. Don't you give that money to your mother? Arnold tells Venus he tried, but she won't take it. Venus asks Arnold if he loves his mother. Yeah, I love my mama. Well, give me 30 minutes, man. We'll go somewhere else and we'll talk. Just you and me, one-on-one. What do you say? Arnold tells Venus he might as well. He's already there. The door to the studio hallway opens and Herb walks in. He sees Venus and Arnold. Hi, brothers. (laughs) And Herb delivers the whitest of all possible line readings on that line. And, oh, watch out. It's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb is wearing a jacket we've seen a few times before. It is tan, red, and blue plaid with blue pocket flaps and collar. He has on a white dress shirt and a white tie in the Tarlick knot. His pants are gray and white plaid, and he is wearing his white belt. Now, his outfit just doesn't quite cut it here. Herb's clothes are always crazy. But the jacket and pants at least go together. The plaid jacket with different plaid pants... It kind of makes this outfit look like a mistake. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, I think Herb gets dressed in the dark some days. So Herb starts to walk past them, then he sees the $100 bill on the floor and picks it up. Cowabunga, Uncle Bob! There's that $100 bill I lost yesterday. This phrase from Howdy Doody seems to be a Herb favorite. He used it in the episode The Doctor's Daughter, and, if you remember, it was a line of the episode. Now a bung, Uncle Bob, who's the broad? <laughs> Herb tells Venus and Arnold he thought that bill was gone. He'd looked all over for it. He starts to kiss the bill, then realizes they're not buying it. He decides to hand the bill over to Venus. Donation. Arnold grabs the bill before Venus can touch it. Venus tells Arnold they're leaving. Venus and Arnold walk out the door leading to the studio. Herb watches them leave and then tries to walk like Arnold over to his desk, giving it that little bit of a swagger there. Kind of awkward. Cowabunga, Uncle Bob! We transition into Andy's office. Before we get into the scene, we've got a couple of things we need to get into right as we enter Andy's office. First off, the music playing as everyone enters. If you are watching along with us on the Shout Factory discs, you're hearing this generic bit of music as Andy opens the door. See, Mr. Carlson, these editorials of yours, I mean, they're, uh, they're good. I mean, they're darn good. Now, I'm not saying that they're not. And, uh, there's Bailey, not for a minute. Surprise! That's not an original cut of music. What should have been playing there was Remember by John Lennon. It sounded like this. See, Mr. Carlson, these editorials of yours, I mean, they're, uh, they're good. I mean, they're darn good. Now, I'm not saying that they're not. Uh, Bailey, not for a minute. Thanks to the big D, Dale Kovar, we pulled that cut from his set of recreated discs. We couldn't find a mention of it, but the selection of Remember has to be another acknowledgement of Lennon's shooting. It comes from his first post-Beatles solo album, 1970s, John Lennon Plastic Ono Band. Remember was never released as a single. Next up is a huge first in this episode. This episode contains the very first appearance of the WKRP bumper sticker wall. 
The bumper sticker wall has been installed in the space above the file cabinets. This has been a rotating poster area. The bumper sticker wall is a legendary part of WKRP, and a lot of people think it was there from the beginning. The idea was first floated over the holiday break in 1980. In the December 12, 1980 issue of Radio and Records magazine, the well-read Street Talk column put out a call for bumper stickers. The notice said the show's producers wanted to do a little redecorating in Andy's office. The one-paragraph blurb asked stations to send their real, currently in-use bumper stickers to Gary Sandy at the Redford Studios address. The response was exceptional, as you can see from the wall. We believe the stickers came in over the holiday break, and the wall was assembled for what would be the first episode they shot after the break. This wall is like a shrine for early 80s radio stations. Any station where I've ever worked or visited, if they had a bumper sticker on the WKRP wall, they could tell you the first episode where it appeared and where it's located on the wall. Guys who worked at stations that don't even exist anymore can still show you their sticker on that wall. Johnny is asleep on Andy's couch when Andy, Mr. Carlson, and Bailey enter. Andy hits Johnny on his foot as he walks past to get him up. Andy is talking to Mr. Carlson about the editorials he's been doing on the air. He tells Carlson the editorials are good. So sometimes your editorials are just a little bit uh, mild. Carlson and Bailey take a seat on the couch that Johnny has just vacated. Carlson tells Andy, you can't have a hot item all the time. I know that, but sir, since you've been doing this now, you've come out in favor of uh, good roads, better education, and uh, spring. <laughs> you came out in favor of spring, Mr. Carlson. Yeah, really, what's wrong with spring? I like spring. So Art says he likes spring. He wants to know why he can't talk about it. Why does everything have to be so negative today? Bailey tells Mr. Carlson it's kind of a downtime. The door opens and Arnold and Venus start to enter. Oh, I'm sorry, and I didn't know. Uh, we'll go do it in the storeroom. Right? Arnold is complaining as they leave with Venus closing the door. Andy's staring after them, open mouthed. <laughs> and as Venus and Arnold exit, we get another look at Andy's office door. Even with the redecorating, no one has caught the misspelling on programming. It's still being shown with only one M. We transition to the storeroom. We don't get back here often, but this is not the first time we've been in the WKRP storeroom. Going all the way back to season one, episode 14, Johnny Comes Back, the storeroom is where Murray from Slaughter Records met with new morning man, Doug Winner. As they walk in, Venus asks Arnold where he got that $100 bill. On the street. Venus asks him if he rolled a drunk or is he selling drugs. <laughs> no, man, you got me all wrong. Yeah, you are a member of a gang, though. No, it's a, uh, a social club, you know what I mean? A gentleman's club. Oh, of course, a gentleman's club. Venus asks if he's president of this gentleman's club. Arnold tells him, yeah, he's right. I mean, you're the strongest and the smartest. Yeah, I guess so. Venus repeats himself. You're strong and you're smart. I just want to verify that. Yeah, I'm strong and I'm smart. Venus asks him why he wants to drop out of school. Arnold tells him it's a waste of his time. Main reason is you don't like it, do you? Yeah, I guess so. How come? Arnold walks over to a stack of boxes and sits. Because it's wasting my time. Venus walks over to Arnold and tells him. You don't like school because you look like a dummy in there. Arnold asks him what he's talking about. Venus tells Arnold he looks like an idiot in class. A what? 
An idiot. Arnold stands up and walks toward Venus. Look out, man. Hey, I'm looking out. Venus puts his hands up and backs away. Yeah, Venus is looking out, all right. Mm -hmm. Venus tells Arnold he sees a smart guy who isn't so smart when a teacher asks him a question. It's embarrassing. I wouldn't know. Venus tells Arnold nobody likes anything that makes them look dumb, and school makes him look dumb. I run that school, my man. Venus tells him he doesn't look good in class, and he doesn't like it. You're saying I'm dumb? Arnold's taking a seat on a stack of boxes again. Venus tells him he's not saying he's dumb. I'm saying you you ain't strong. Arnold stands up and walks toward Venus. You want to see just how strong I am? You keep on talking. He is face to face with Venus. Venus asks him if he knows what strong is. Arnold asks him what? Strong is not caring what anybody think about you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't care what anybody thinks. Arnold struts past Venus. Especially you. What if you start paying attention in class instead of being cool and causing a lot of trouble? Arnold tells Venus it doesn't matter because he is not going to do it. Venus asks him, But could you do it? Could you be that strong? Yeah, I could be that strong. You're a very special man, all. Now we're getting somewhere. (laughs) Arnold struts across the storeroom with a satisfied look on his face. Too bad you're dumb. Arnold turns around and walks up to Venus. Don't start that again. Venus looks at Arnold, not about to give up. You know what's really dumb, Arnold? You think they're trying to make you take something. They are. Arnold, those teachers don't care about you that much, man. If you're not buying what they're selling, to hell with you. They're just going to promote you right out of there. Look, man, you believe they're trying to make you take something. I'm telling you, they got something that belongs to you. It's yours. It's your right to have what they got. And if they won't give you an education, man, you got to steal it from them. You got to stand up and say, hey, teacher, I don't understand. Repeat that again. And they get tired of repeating that and then put you in a special class like and call it remedial just to embarrass you. You got to tell them you don't give a damn what they call it. That you're too strong to be embarrassed, and you want what's coming to you. And we've got a production note. The storeroom is pretty heavily front lit. That means we're getting some sharp and heavy shadows on the back wall. Keep an eye out. Several boom shadows are visible in this scene, especially when they both move around. And some of them are really sharp. You can see a real outline of the microphone. So the expression on Arnold's face changes, and you can tell Venus has broken through maybe just a little bit. Arnold asks Venus why he would want it. What good is an education to a guy like him? He tells Venus he's not buying that education is needed for jobs and money. Unemployment lines filled with people with education, including college degrees, am I right? Venus tells him he's right, and there are no guarantees. So what's the point of going back to school? Venus tells Arnold he believes there are only two things people care about in the world. One survival, two conquests. What about sex? That's part of survival. (laughs) That's a part of survival. Where does chocolate fall in there? (laughs) Arnold nods his head in agreement. And so is an education, man. You've got to have an education to survive. Venus tells Arnold he knows he's not into survival. He's into conquest. You conquer out there in the street and you like that. You get conquered in the classroom and you don't like it, do you? No. Okay, Venus is kind of taking him around in circles, and now Venus brings the hammer down. Have you conquered math, man, or has math conquered you? Who's the toughest dog in that fight, you or math? Math. How come? How come? Yeah. I don't know. Well, tell me, what do you think it is? I don't know. Well, do you pay attention in class? No. Well, what is it, man? I'm asking you, Arnold. Maybe it's because I'm dumb. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. Don't be telling me I'm not dumb. I'm telling you, I'm dumb. (laughs) Venus tells Arnold he's smart. He's the president of his gang. Arnold tells him that's different. Arnold explains they've got math, science, geometry, English, and he doesn't understand any of it. 
Venus asks him about chemistry. Arnold tells Venus, chemistry is the worst one. Did they teach you anything about the atom? The atom? Year after year. And I don't know the first thing about it. Venus tells Arnold he can give him the basics of the atom in two minutes, and he will remember it for months. Arnold tells him he's crazy. If I can teach you about the atom in two minutes, will you go back to school and finish out the year? How about it, huh? Come on, you're a betting man. How about it, Arnold? And remember it for months. How about remember it for years and years yes. and years? I've never forgotten. Arnold agrees, giving Venus his word. Venus tells Arnold to sit down, and he gets a marker from one of the shelves. Arnold sits on some boxes, ready to be bored for two minutes. Venus moves some boxes out of the way to expose a spot on the wall, and he begins. There are three gangs on the street, right? Yeah, yeah, three gangs. And this... This right here is the territory. Now, here is the neighborhood. Venus draws a big circle on the wall. And right in the middle of this neighborhood is a gang called... The new boy. He writes a capital N in the middle of this circle. Out here on the outside of the neighborhood, on the edge of the neighborhood, is another gang. You know, these are real negative dudes. Really negative. Right? Right. right. Now, they call themselves the elected ones. Venus writes a capital E on the edge of the circle. Now, they all the time out here circling around the neighborhood. Just circling. You know? <laughs> Checking out. The new boy. Venus takes the marker and draws several circles around the big circle. Now, the new boys see this. And they get, you know, they figure there's something wrong here, so they make a deal with another, another gang. A gang of very happy-go-lucky guys. They call themselves the pros. Venus writes a capital P next to the capital N in the center of the circle. Now, the pros are very positive cats. You see, they got all the good-looking women, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> see, now, the pros and the, and the elected ones, interesting thing, they hate each other. So much so that they keep the same number of members in the gang. Just in case you did. Right. So if I got 10 elected ones, how many pros do I have? 10. All right. Now, how many gangs do I have? Three. Name them. The new boys, the elected ones, and the pros. Pointing to the outside of the circle, Venus asks Arnold. Who's here? The elected ones. All right. Now, what are they, negative? Yeah, negative. All right. Now, who's positive? The pros. And you're running out of time. All right. Now, you see right here, the pros and, and, and the new boys, they call their hangout the nucleus. Now Venus draws a circle around the P and the N. Now see, that's a real tough word. It's Latin. I kind of think it's Swahili, and it means center. This catches Arnold's attention. He sits up. Yeah? What is it? It's nucleus. Say it. Nucleus. Is that really African? Say it. Nucleus. You got it? Yeah. All right. Venus is referencing both a people and a language when he mentions Swahili. At the time, in the early 80s, the miniseries Roots had ignited a strong interest in African culture. Swahili are an African people, but the language Swahili is also the official language of the East African community countries of Burundi, Kenya, Rwanda, South Sudan, Tanzania, and Uganda. Although efforts exist to preserve Swahili, it is considered a dying language. Younger people in Swahili-speaking countries have shown a preference for English in recent years. Give you another Swahili word. It's, uh, it's uh, Tron. Yeah, it means dude. Yeah, Tron, dude. All these gangs like that name so well that they all decide to use it. For instance, the, uh, the pros right here in the middle start calling themselves the protons. And the new boys, well, they start calling themselves the neutrons. <laughs> and out here on the edge here, the elected ones, they start calling themselves the elect... The electrons. 
the protons and the neutrons. And yes, it's actually proton, not protron, but Venus is on a roll. We'll give him that one. And all this right here, this is the neighborhood. This is block after block of nothing. You understand block after block of nothing, don't you? Yeah, yeah, I know all about that. And your time is up, Professor DJ. Venus tells him he's finished anyway. Now you're going back to school. School? Man, all I know about is a bunch of damn gangs that live in a round neighborhood. (laughs) Venus points to his drawing. He tells Arnold that's the atom. Then he runs through it quickly with Arnold, who answers every question about the atom correctly. Venus tells Arnold he knows this stuff backwards and forwards. Arnold smiles a little. Yeah, I do. Yeah, well, what good is it going to do me? I mean, I ain't never seen an atom. I can't touch it. Venus tells him he's got to start believing the things he can't see. I see what I see. Venus asks Arnold if Africa is a place. Yeah. Venus asks Arnold if he's ever been to Africa, and Arnold tells him no. Is it still there? Yeah. Venus tells Arnold his body is made up of atoms when they get together in a certain way. We're all made up of atoms. Do you know that 95% of the people in this country don't know what you know about it? And you conquered in two minutes. Now, how does that make you feel? I guess kind of good. That's the joy of conquest. The joy of learning. That's why you should go back to school. Arnold nods his head and, smiling, tells Venus he should teach school. Venus starts walking to the door. You did, didn't you? Venus tries to avoid his question. Tell you what, I did lie about one thing. Those words being Swahili. No, black kids seem to learn faster when they think it's about their own culture. Just a little... White lie, okay? Okay. (laughs) Venus asks Arnold if he's going to finish out the school year. You won, man. No, Arnold. You won. Arnold tells him, okay. And another thing, Arnold. uh, You're probably not going to find a teacher as good as me again, so... uh, And the class starts getting very boring. You pay particular attention and break it down into something you can identify with. Venus opens the door, and Arnold walks out. I'll say hello to your mother tonight. Yeah, me too. Venus closes the door, then collapses in relief against it, putting his hand over his stomach. He lets out a big breath. There is a noise behind one of the shelves, and we see Johnny struggling to stand up from the floor. That Adam stuff is terrific, man. I never understood it before, you know. Venus asks Johnny why he didn't tell him he was back there. I tried, but I was asleep. <laughs> I tried, but I was asleep. <laughs> How long did you teach, man? Venus tells him three years. But I couldn't cut it, so I quit. You never told me about that. It's not the kind of thing I'm proud of. <laughs> oh, come on. But if you got some time, I'm wide awake. Uh, I'll buy you a drink, all right? You got it. All right. They head out the door as Johnny makes a request. Can you uh, teach me about magnet? <laughs> You remember Arnold was supposed to be there at four, and he didn't show until almost five. He and Venus have been talking for about 20 minutes at least. It's got to be about 5.30. And as we've learned in past episodes, Venus goes on the air at six. So how does Johnny figure he has time for a drink? He's got to pull commercials and get songs ready. There's some show prep. and I don't think he's got time for a drink or magnets. We go to our capper scene in the studio where Venus is at the mic and we hear Being Green by Della Reese playing. Venus is all laid back introducing the song when Cora comes bursting into the studio yelling his name. Venus! You did it! 
Miss Bellerice. She asks Venus to play something for her. He tells her he already has Della on. Venus is playing Being Green by Della Reese. This song is also known as It's Not Easy Being Green. This is the song written by Joey Raposo and originally performed by Jim Henson as Kermit the Frog on Sesame Street in 1970. I did not realize this song was that old. Kermit did it on the street once, then twice on The Muppet Show. Frank Sinatra, Ray Charles, and the Boston Pops have all recorded a version of Being Green. There have been more than 40 different versions, including this one from Della Reese's 1973 album, Let Me Be In Your Life. Green, that's the color of spring. And green can be so cool and rather friendly like and yet it can be big, I mean really big, like an ocean, or very, very important, like a mountain. Although being green is well-known and consistently popular, no version has ever charted on the U.S. Hot 100. Cora sits and listens a bit. Think it will last, Venus? Think you'll stay in after the year's out? Venus tells her the odds are against it. Hey, but look, the odds were against me. Look how I turned out. I mean, I'm so beautiful. <laughs> Cora jumps up and gives him a hug. You are, too. Well, cute, maybe. <laughs> no, baby, you're beautiful. I guess it's no point arguing with you, is it? <laughs> and we fade on Venus and the man. Not a big one on laughs, but wow, a big message episode. That's one that'll stick with you for it, a long definitely, time. Definitely. It stays right with you. And once you learn anything about protons, neutrons, and electrons, that's a great way to remember them. All right, so what is up for next week? Actually, the next two weeks, Donna. We will be talking about Dr. Fever and Mr. Tide, part one. Johnny hosts a rock and roll dance show to earn extra money. He thinks he's going to be able to do the show his way, but finds he must wear their outfits and play their songs. He creates a new personality, Rip Tide, to do the show. This was originally done as a single hour on one night, but just like with Filthy Pictures, we're going to break it into two episodes. Oh, and I can't wait to meet the Ripper. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. You can find us on social media. Follow our Facebook page at WKRPcast. And for more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPcast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders.
I almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! <laughs> <laughs>